Blog Talk Radio. Amen, amen. Good evening, good evening, everybody. This is Pastor Winfred Burns, uh, pastor of Word, Worship, and Witness Ministries, coming to you once again with the Word on Wednesday. Uh, why don't you take a few minutes right now to grab your Bibles and Get, get pen and paper and be prepared for just a dynamic experience in the Word tonight. Uh, before we get started, let's start like we normally do. I want to uh, just have a word of prayer and then uh, invite somebody to Jesus Christ. And finally, um, we'll get into the Word. Let's, let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. We thank you, O Master, for your many benefits. We thank you, O Master, that you speak, that your word has been recorded, that you give us your Holy Spirit to lead us into the word. And so tonight, God, we ask that you would humbly teach us. We ask, O Father, that as you teach us, that you would give us the heart's and the minds to comprehend what you are saying. Deposit, make it a, a deposit on good soil. Father, we ask that you would do this thing in us tonight. We can't understand your word on our own. We can't comprehend it. But we know that by the aid of your spirit, that you'll help us know what you are saying. Father, then we ask that for those who are trying to get online for those who are trying to get to a place where they could safely hear this word, that you would give them traveling mercies and that you wouldn't allow them to miss too much of tonight's um, teaching. We thank you and we praise you for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we feed ourselves, let's make sure that there are that we feed somebody else. And by saying to you tonight that if you don't know Jesus, if you, if I asked you were you saved, if I asked you where do you think you're going to go after you die, and you aren't confident that uh, you're going to heaven, that you are going to, that you have such a relationship with God that you know for a fact that, that you are saved, then you are, just listen to me real quick. Jesus died for your sins. And when he died for your sins, he extends to you an invitation to come to him, to believe on him, that you might be saved. And what do you need to believe? First of all, you need to believe that he's the son of God. Secondly, you need to believe that he died for your sins. And then the third thing you need to do is you need to ask him to come into your life. You need to ask him, just say, Jesus, I know you are the Son of God, and I know you died for my sins, and I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be my Lord. And then just say, I'm repenting. I'm turning away from my past life, and I'm turning to you, and I want you to lead me and guide you. And just merely pray the prayer. I believe that Jesus Christ, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and I ask you, I ask him to be my Savior. And if you do that, if you do that from your heart and you really believe it, then you're saved. Then you are saved. So then what do you do? I want you to find another Christian, a 
pastor or a church, and you go to them and you tell them, look, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I've asked him to be my Savior, and I know that, that I'm saved, but I don't know what to do now. And let them take you under their wing. Let them begin to teach you about salvation and, and how to walk with God and how to grow in God and how to have that relationship that he so wants to have with you. Let, you do, let them do that with you. They're waiting for you. They're waiting for you. And I, if you've done that, I welcome you to the family of God. Because now, my brother, now, my sister, you can honestly say that I am a child of God. Amen. Welcome. Okay. Amen. I pray that somebody's received Jesus tonight. I just pray that. And if, you know what, you guys ought to help out by, by you know, just a simple, just with that simple message, share that with other people as you go throughout your day so people can know, so people can know that, that, God, that Jesus died for their sins and that, that forgiveness is there for them, salvation is there for them, and it's free. All they have to do is believe. Amen? So here's what I want you to do tonight. I want, I want you guys to, I'm going to be posing some questions throughout the night, and I either want you to answer by or participate with me tonight by either typing your, um, your, your, your question or your comment on the screen, but preferably what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to take this call-in number that we have. It's 929-477-2304, 929-477-2304. And I want you to call in with your questions or your comments. Uh, I really, really want to hear from you tonight. This is a really, really um, uh, uh, big, big event in Second Samuel that's happening now because, as I've described before, uh, it's a roller coaster ride from here on out. I mean, we've seen David uh, reach the zenith of, of the, the highest height of his kingdom now. And from here on out, you'll see the ups and downs and the curves that happen because of the events that now have to happen in Second Samuel chapter 11. And so we're going to take this chapter apart. We're going to... Comp we're going to I'm going to have some comments on it, uh, some questions from it. You're going to have some comments and questions. I'm going to have just a, a wonderful time because this is the turning point. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And now last week, last week, remember where we left off. We left off with David putting a whooping on the Arameans, not once but twice, because they jumped in the fight between David and the Ammonites after the Ammonites literally had declared war on David. Remember, now just, just real quick for somebody that wasn't there last week, remember last week that Hanun, the son of Nahash, the Amorite, had come to power. And when he came to power because of the treaty that existed between Nahash and, um, Nahash and David, 
And remember who Nahash was. Nahash was the one who was was fighting against Saul, and Saul had to come and fight Nahash because Nahash was trying to take Jabesh Gilead, and he had threatened them and told them that uh, if if you if we got you, and in order to make a treaty with you, we're going to have to gouge your eyes out. And Saul steps in. This is the beginning of Saul Saul as king, and Saul steps in, and they fight. And he runs Nahash off. And so David, being an enemy of Saul, becomes a friend of Nahash. And we talked about it last week. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so they had friendly relations as David ascended to the throne. But now Nahash has died. His son has has taken the throne. He, he in turn, um, uh, David sends a, a, a... ambassadors to him saying, hey, sorry about your father, and we want to keep relationships on the friendly tip, but the elders and the, the royalty says to Hanun, Nahash's son, that, oh, no, David just spying on you, and he doesn't mean, he doesn't mean you any good. Uh, what he's going to do is he's going to spy on you, find out the weaknesses, and he's going to come attack you. So they insult the ambassadors by cutting off their beard and and uh, um, and slashing their clothes, and so they send them home with their butt out. And this is literally a declaration of war. And so when uh, Hanun figures out that David's coming for them, he hires the mercenaries, the Arameans, and we talked about where they were from, what they meant, and literally uh, we got a chance to see the miracle of God because Joab moves into a trap, uh, we also got a chance to see um, how David defeats uh, Joab and David defeat the Arameans, and they subdue him. We talked about all the implications from that. So we pick up with the fact that the Ammonites are still around. They're in a walled city. Uh, weather has not been conducive for David to continue the battle. And also, there was an ex- there was some loss of life, and so they, the king. This is not a good time to fight. So now let's move into uh, chapter eleven. I think that that pretty much catches us up. Chapter eleven, verse one. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men. And the whole Israelite army, they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Now, there's just in that one verse, just in that one verse, the narrator is setting us up. What does he tell us? He says, it's the time where kings go off to war. Now, This is a time where it's advantageous for a couple of reasons. One, um, there's if you go into the Ammonite land, there is food there for the army that will sustain them because the Ammonites have their crops and their crops are growing up. And so, you know, hey, we can eat their stuff up. This is during the time when there was a lot of raiding going on. Uh, secondly, 
we want this says that this says something to us. It says not that David and Joab went out with the army. It says David sent Joab. Remember last week I talked to you a little bit about now we see normally we would see David going, but now we see him doing more sending. Why didn't David go out to battle? Why didn't David go out to battle? Any, what do you think? Why, why didn't he go out to battle? Why are you thinking about it? I'm going to keep going. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanness. Then she went back home. Go back to verse 1. Go back to verse 1. Why is David not leading his men into battle? Why is he not doing the work of a king? We have established that one of the duties of a king is to protect the people within the kingdom. David is not only just not any old kind of king. David is a warrior king. David is a leader. David is a fighter. And there can be a couple of reasons given why he is so out of character here. One could be that he has affairs of the state that he has to attend to. So he is there being the king, tending after administrative duties. And yet another could be that, and we'll see this later, and I don't, I don't, I don't subscribe to what I can't prove. Another could be that during the course of battle, he, he is, almost goes down, and we see that later on, that in a fight, David comes close to getting killed, and so the men say, no, you can't go out with us anymore. We don't know if he is at that age at that point in time. We just can't pin it because, again, you have to understand that when we look at the word, when we look at the word, as it's not always chronological. So sometimes we have events that have already taken place uh, being presented at a later date. We can't prove this at all. So those are the two reasons that you know, I can come up with where he, it may have been why he stayed back. But it's mere supposition. There is no biblical evidence that either one of those theses that I just put forth are true. So all we know is for some reason he didn't go out to fight. And in not going out to fight, okay, he gets up from his afternoon nap 
and he looks out and he sees this woman, not just any woman, but a beautiful woman bathing. Now, how did he happen to see her, and how is it that, you know, she out there bathing and, and, and presenting herself like that? Well, first of all, they bathed outside. She's probably in a courtyard bathing. Secondly, from David's vantage point, he could look out and see what was going on everywhere. So it wasn't like she was putting herself out there or he was going out there specifically looking for her. His house was built up high on a hill. His house set higher than all the rest of the houses. So when he goes up on his roof to look out, he can just look around and see everything that's going on. And it just so happens, the way the narrator says it, the way the narrator says it, that he looked out and he saw this fine woman taking a bath. He sees her taking a bath. Now, let's go a little further. Who is Bathsheba? Well, the scripture informs us who she is. She is the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Let me help you with who um, Eliam is. Eliam is one of David's trusted counselors, and he is a man of war. As a matter of fact, when we look over in First Chronicles, or Second Chronicles rather, to see who he is, he is counted as one of the 30. Now, what is the 30? David had the three and the 30. The three were the captains of the 30. They were the leaders. These were the three were the most renowned fighters. The 30 were after the three. And these were guys that, as they say, if we had to compare them right now, um, they wouldn't be Navy SEALs. They would be those black op guys who go in and do special work and nobody knows about them. Highly trained, highly specialized, uh, 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 above Navy SEALs. There were 30 of them. And guess, Eliam was one of them. And guess who else was one of them? Uriah the Hittite. These were the guys that really served the nation of Israel. These were his best fighters. These were fighters that were close to him. And when he inquires about Bathsheba, they tell him, look, man, that's Uriah's wife. You know Uriah. Uriah, your boy. That's uh, uh, Eliam's daughter. You know Eliam, the one that you sit down with and y'all talk and, you know, strategize, and he counsels you and helps you formulate your strategy. That's whose daughter that is. Now, let me, I've, I've been trying to figure out a way to bring it closer to you. If, and so here's the way I'm going to do it. I'm, I, I tried this, and, it, and, it, and it, it, hopefully it works. You're the, you're the pastor. you got an assistant pastor, and you got a head deacon, okay? And you look up, and you see this girl. And so you ask one of your, uh, your armor bearer, who is that? And your armor bearer says, that's the assistant pastor's daughter, the 
your head deacon's wife. Now, that right there, even if she looked fine as, you know, fine as a razor blade, that right there make you say, oh, okay, mm-hmm, and you go ahead and get you an eyeball fool and you keep on going. But you know that's a do not touch, don't even look over there no more, give her her good God she fine and keep on going. But look at what David does. It says, David sent messengers to get her. And she came to him, and they slept together. And now look at verse 5. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. Now, let me play with y'all a little bit. Let me play with you a little bit. Ain't that a mess? Now, here you are thinking that you could tip and get away with it and find out. And find out. You know, yeah, you got the sin. You know you're the sin. And you don't, you know, you, you don't win someplace and say, ooh, I messed up and keep on going. But then all of a sudden, when the evidence of your sin is presented to you, I'm making you feel this, ain't I? When the evidence of your sin, you know how it is when you did something, you thought you got away with it. And sexual sin is not the only kind of sin that we think we get away with. Because when we do something wrong and we go, and you can, go, you can do it, call it whatever you want to. When you sneak in the refrigerator and get a piece of pie that, went, that you weren't supposed to get, and you think you done got away with it, and you forget to wash the plate, and you leave a dirty plate in the sink, and then your wife comes up on you and say, have you been eating my pie? And you, you lie and say, no, I ain't no pie. Then what's that dirty, that dirty plate in the sink? You know, you busted. That's what David is. David says, uh-oh, I'm busted. Now watch this. You got to cover up. Now the cover up for the pie and the plate in the pie, well, yep, caught. The cover up for the plate and the pie is simple. I ain't do that. Somebody else did it. Now, ain't nobody, ain't nobody in the house but you and her. But somebody else did it, and you about to, and you about to do like you know, like a Mary did. Only Mary was telling the truth. You about to blame it on the Holy Ghost because ain't nobody else up in here but you two. You know that, but you can always say, well, my son, my son might have been over here. He might have got it. Mm, ain't that weak? But watch what David does to cover up. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. Let me ask you a question, not based on this, but based on what we were talking about previous. So what do you do? What do you do when you realize that you caught in your mess? What's, what's, your, what's your response when you, you're in a lie and somebody caught you in your lie? Or you've done something that you had no business doing and you've been caught. What do you do when you're driving down the street 
and it's you're supposed to drive 55 and you're driving 70 because, you know, traffic is flowing smooth and nobody out there. And so you're getting it and all of a sudden you see them red lights swirling in behind you and the police stop you. What do you do? Do you say, officer, I wasn't doing it? Your gun, I know you clocked me doing 70 and a 55, but, but, but that can't be right. Something wrong with your gun. What do you do? Get an attitude because everybody else is going fast, and I was just going fast, and so why they stop me? They stop me because I'm black. Oh, this ain't nothing but a ticket for driving while black. Man, you was doing 70. What do you do? Now, in this passage right here, David is setting his cover up, and what he wants to do is he wants to get Uriah to go home to sleep with Bathsheba so when the baby is born, he could celebrate the baby and say, oh, look what Uriah did. What he's doing is he's trying to take the blame and put it on somebody else. What does this mean? Look what he says. Go down to your house and wash your feet. He's basically telling Uriah, look, man, go get comfortable at the crib. Get that dust off you. Get that dirt off you. Go see your wife. And not only that, I'm going to send something with you to help the party get along. That's what, that's what this passage, passage is saying. So he is engaged in a cover-up. But Uriah, but Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. Hmm. So Uriah, so Uriah, Uriah said, no, I mean, we ain't doing it. We're not having that. I'm not doing that. Do you see something in, in this man? Do you see something in this man? He refuses the pleasures that are placed before him. Why do you think he refused? Now, you home on leave. Something happens and you got to come home on leave from the war or on your job or whatever. You got a fine wife at home. Are you going to headquarters and stay at headquarters when your wife is right around the corner and ignore her? Or are you going around and take advantage of the opportunity that is placed before you and with the king's endorsement? 929-477-2304. 929-477-2304. Are you going to walk past it or are you going to walk to it? We already know what Uriah's decision is. Uriah decides, no, I'm not going. I'm not going. Let's go further. When David was told, I'm at verse 10. When David was told Uriah did not go home, he asked him, haven't you just come from a distance? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my master Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. What? What? Listen to his reason. He says, look, I'm a soldier. And my brothers 
And the Lord, the presence of the Lord, the ark represents the presence of the Lord, is out in a field. Now, what is his name? What, how do we know this guy? We know him as Uriah the Hittite. He is a foreigner who has come to join the community of God, and he now battles on behalf of God. He is a worshiper of God. He is a convert, and he lives under the protection and guidance of God. He is a worshiper. He honors God. And he honors God so much that he refuses to dishonor himself by taking pleasures with his wife while everybody else is out fighting. Now, what, what makes this? Let me let me show you a little bit more. When they were sent out to fight the enemy, they were consecrated for the war. They sanctified themselves. That is, he's under God's protection. Amen. Um, they sanctified themselves so that they could uh, do the will and the work of God. They considered themselves to be holy warriors. By going in, and part of being holy is abstaining from sexual relations. And so, when they considered, when they consecrated themselves, they did not stop until the battle was over, until it was won. And so, in doing that, he says to, he says, "Look, uh-uh, I was a soldier out there. I'm a soldier here. Same rules apply." So now, watch what David does. And again, for comments, question answers to questions. 929-477-2304, 929-477-2304. So, then David said to him, I'm at verse 12, then David said to him, stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next, because now David got to figure out a way, he got to, he, and I got to, I got the scheme on this brother because he 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 holding strong. He's holding to the word. He is holding to the word. Then David said to him, "Stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back." So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants, and he did not go home. So David going to try one more time. I'm going to get this boy drunk. I'm going to get him drunk out of his mind, and then he's going he's gonna to wander on down the street, and in his heart, what's in his heart will come out. You see, when you drink and when you smoke and when you do all those kind of things, what's in your heart really comes out. Well, David apparently didn't know what was in his heart, Uriah's heart, because drunk or sober, drunk or sober with, with Uriah, okay, what was really in his heart was being faithful to God. 
Now, wouldn't you like to one day get drunk and all of a sudden, you know, as they say, and and pour out what was in your heart, and when you poured out what was really in your heart, the stuff that you had guarded, the things that when you're in your right mind, you don't tell nobody, wouldn't it be something if what came out of your your, your heart was, oh, how I love Jesus? That's what literally comes out of this guy's heart, what's really in there, his devotion to God. Now, in previous studies, what we would do is we would contrast David's devotion to God to Saul's lack of devotion. Now the, the script is being flipped because now what we're seeing is Uriah's devotion to God versus David's lack of devotion. Isn't that something? Here we got David. David got the promise of God. David got everything that he wants. God has given him the victory, victory after victory. God has been with him. And the reward for this is that he has gotten drunk. Something has happened to him that has caused him to turn away from God, to turn to his own soul. He got caught up on being the king, I think, I think. I got another one to give you a little bit later. So look here. He wouldn't go home. He wouldn't go home. Iron is to sharpen iron. David lost his focus. Amen. I think he lost more than that, though. I think he lost more than that. Hang on with me for a minute. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it he wrote, put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him. So he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. So David takes Uriah gives him a death sentence, has him deliver the death sentence himself to Joab, and then David effectively has him killed. Now, there was no reason why Joab had to resort to this strategy. There was no reason why he had to, because they had the city under siege. All they had to do was sit there. They didn't have to go up close. This was deliberate. This is willful. All they had to do was starve them out. They had beat them back into the city. And now all they had to do was sit there like this and say, "Uh come on out here. Come on out here. That's what a siege was all about. He just didn't wait Nobody in, nobody out. No food in, no food out. Cut the water off. Cut the, it's literally, it's like this. Nobody in, nobody out. Cut the water off. Cut the lights out. When they run out of food, they'll be out here, or either they'll eat each other. But either way it go, we got them now. We don't have to do nothing. But instead, Joab does what David says do, and he presses the battle forward toward the walls. And they, instead of the men rallying around Uriah to fight, they draw back and leave him by himself, and he dies. This honorable man is murdered. Verse 18, Joab sent David 
a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, when you have finished giving the king, giving the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up, and he may ask you, why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know they would shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, son of Jerobeshep? Didn't the woman throw an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you get so close to the wall? If he asks you this, then say to him, Also, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. So basically he's saying, Tell him mission accomplished. The messenger set out, and when he arrived, he told David everything Joab had sent him to say. The messenger said to David, The men overpowered us and came out against us in the open, but we drove them back to the entrance to the city gate. Then the archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall, and some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. David told the messenger, Say this to Joab, don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. I want to stop right here. I want to stop right here. I got some, first of all, let's review something. What sins, what sins has David committed? Now, David, we've talked, is one who knows the law. He is a king who, is, who has followed the king's protocol to the letter. The protocol of the king was one. When you become king, you get the law and you write it down yourself. And you carry that law with you at all times. And you are to rule according to the law of God. David was a king who knew the law, and he broke the law. What laws did he break? What laws did he break? Tell me, what laws do you see in this story that he broke? Somebody tell me quick. 929-477-2304. 929-477-2304. What laws did he break? Disobedience. Yeah, he was disobedient, but there were some specific laws he broke. He broke. David broke some specific laws. What laws did David break in chapter 11? Go back. Think about the Ten Commandments. Which commandments did he break? Which commandments does David break? Covetedness is one. That's right. What other laws did he break? What other laws did he break? Come on. Honor the Lord thy God. Yeah, be more specific. Well, it's ten of them commandments. And they, they, st they stand you in the face. What commandments did he break? We got covetousness. That's one of them. We got one of them. Come on, there's, there's a couple more. Killing, thou shalt not kill. That's, that's another one. Come on, there's another one. So we got covenant. We, he's a covenant breaker. Or uh, covetedness, he desires something that is not his. That's covetedness. What else? Did he tell the truth? Did he? He's he, he stealing and covetedness. I think I'm going to put them both. Stealing, yeah. Mm -hmm. He stole. 
somebody's wife because he coveted her. He lied about it. They get correct. Um, and what else did he do? He, and he murdered. It correct? So that we just we just named four that he did right there. So I mean, and all of these, all of these, and again, honor the Lord thy God is another one. So he sinned against God, and he sinned against man. Because when you, what are you saying? Thou shalt not make for yourself an image in the form of anything. He did make her an idol. He did make her an idol. That will work. That will work. He did make her an idol because there was something about her that enticed him to put her on the throne, to honor her, to want her above his desire for God. She must have been some good-looking woman. But I want to... I want to show you something else because when we look at this story, we have we we always look and we can see the sin of David. But have you ever wondered why? What made David do that? Because David had plenty of women. I mean, if you look back, he's got at this point in time, he's got four wives. Man, if you got one wife, that's plenty. This dude got four wives, and all of his wives are fine. He is the king. He can take more wives. So there was no reason. There was no, I mean, look, if he, if he looked and saw something that was looking good and got him excited, all he had to do was turn around and go, go down the hall and say, hey, you, that one right there. That one right there. Come here. You. And he could have played all he wanted to. That wasn't what was driving him. Let me tell you what was driving David, and this will help you. This will help you. Get in your Bibles, and I want you to go over to Romans. Let's start at Romans. we got a few minutes to wrap this up. Um, let's see now. Go to Romans chapter 7. I want to I start at 714. I want to start at 714. And I'm going to show you what, what, what David is struggling with in, internally, and then I'm going to show you what happened specifically, okay? And this is applicable to us. This is applicable to us. Now, we might not, well, we might not have to worry about us running out there grabbing somebody else's woman or us going out there killing somebody or murdering somebody. I hope we don't do that because it's something that we want that's not ours. And so we got to, you know, uh, we, our closest friend got something that, that we want, so we're willing to do anything to get what belongs to somebody. I hope we're not struggling with that. But there are times when we make some moves that we know better, but we feel like, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to do it. Look at Romans chapter 7, verse 14. I'm going to start reading right there. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. 
as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So, I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from the body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. What did, you, what did you just read here? What did you just read? I read that there is a sin in me that is aggravated, that sin is within, and it is aggravated by the law. Make it plain? Do you need me to make it plainer? That there is something within me, that there is a desire within me that is aggravated by the law. Let me make it even easier for you to understand. You don't want to eat them cookies, but them cookies will stand you in the face. The doctor tell you, don't eat cookies. Your wife tell you, don't eat cookies. But the more they tell you what not to do, and what you shouldn't do, and what is not good for you, that's the very thing that you want the most. That is the law of sin working within you. And so David knew that he should not be bothering that woman, that he needed to turn around and find him something else to do. But sin took an occasion within him to stimulate the not what he shouldn't do and allowed him to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Holy Ghost might say no, but you're like, yeah, okay, Holy Ghost, we'll talk later. You know how it works. And so in our lives, we need to be aware of what's going on. Because there's something within us that's always fighting the will of God. And we can know the word upside down, backwards and forwards, thou shall not, bet not, and all that kind of stuff. And our answer to that is, uh-huh, yeah, okay, fine. But let's go a little deeper. What's really, really, what, what does the devil use against David to get him to violate all that God tells him not to do. Go over to James. Go over to James. Go too far.
chapter 1. And I'm going to read it. I'll start reading at 13. No, I'll, I'll start reading at 12 because I want to set it up real good. Blessed is the man, James chapter, James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Now, if you've got a King James Bible, it says each one is tempted by his own lust. NIV translates it as evil desire. We are tempted by our own desires, our own unnatural desires. When we desire something in an unnatural way, it's called lust. We are tempted by our own lust, our own overwhelming evil desires. David commits this sin because he is tempted by his own own overwhelming evil desire. And here's a, here's a newsflash. Satan knows what you desire. And he tries to cultivate an appetite within you that says, this is something you got to have. This is something you got to have. And sin is the beginning, as they say, he uses his lust, your lust. He uses you to beat you. He makes it seem like it's something that you got to have, and if you don't get it, then your life is not going to be complete. Now, don't just apply that to a woman, or don't just apply that to a man. Apply that to anything. What is it in your life that you've got such a lust for? I use food as an example. There are certain foods that, that, that I just, oh, I just got to have that. I just got to have that. If I don't get that, I feel like I'm going to die. You ain't going to die. Boy, you're too fat. You can live for a long time without eating at all. But yet we say, oh, it's killing me I ain't got that. That's an unnatural desire. You're looking at something, and all of a sudden you're just salivating about it. Why? It might be a car. It might be a house. It might be some material thing. It might be a suit. Ooh-wee. And now, now think about it. Let's turn the page backward in your life. You know that you've had those things before. Now, don't you? Tell it. Go on, tell it. You know you've had those feelings before. Yes, you have. And in having those feelings and going and getting that thing, going and getting with that person, going doing whatever it was that you just had to do, when you look back at your fulfilling of that unnatural lust, what's the first thing you think of? What's the first thing? Come on, tell it. David just had to have that Bathsheba. Ooh, he had to have her. 
And he was willing to do anything to get her. And then cover up his mess. What was the last thing you did? Because some of, some of us don't have to turn the pages back too far. I, yeah, we don't have to turn the pages back too far. Why y'all so quiet? 929-477-2304. 929-477-2304. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. The problem is this. That it's easy for us to look at everybody else's mess because everybody knows about this David and Bathsheba. But we don't want anybody to know about the lust that led us into sin. And the thing about it is when we look back at it, what do we think? I could have did without that. I did all that, got in all that trouble for that little bit of something or other, and I could have did without it. I didn't even need that. Or... I, I, the hell that I'm still paying for by getting with such and such a one. That, you see, that's what the word makes us do. It makes us look at ourselves. It's easy for us to look at somebody else and point fingers at them. But when we really get into the word and we begin to evaluate our lives, when we evaluate what we did according to the word, we can see, oh, yeah, that's what God said. So and then what happens when you, when, when at, at, by, what does it say? Verse 14, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, by his own lust, he is dragged away and enticed. You see, now you, you are not in control. Remember we talked about the law of sin working within you in Romans? That, that law of sin is working within you to get you to do what in your heart of hearts you know you ain't got no business doing. Oh, it's us. It's, it, uh, and as they say, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh, Lord, standing in the need of prayer. <laughs> yes, it is. And I laugh about it. But if we look within our lives, we've just opened the door for the devil to operate on us, and he's operating. And guess where it takes us to? Look, I'll read it again. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And Satan says, mission accomplished. Because the mission of Satan is to do what? To kill, to steal, and destroy. But when we follow Jesus, what does it say? But I have come to have, give you life and life more abundantly. So here we have, once again, that choice between obeying God or yielding to our fleshly desires and giving way to sin. And we know where sin is taking us to. Sin is taking us to death. Oh, mm. all because of our own lust. It ain't got nothing to do with God. It's got everything to do with what's operating within us. But thanks be to God, he gives us Jesus Christ to make atonement to pay our sin penalty. Isn't that something? If you, uh, we got about three minutes, four minutes left. If you got questions or comments, call me at 929-477-2304. 929-477-2304.
929-477-2304. Let's wrap this up. Verse 26. David's going to speak prophetically here, and he doesn't even know what he's saying. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. I want to go back up to verse 25 and and read verse 25 again. David told the messenger, say this to Joab, don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. David doesn't know, but he is speaking prophetically to himself. He doesn't know that. Remember that for next week. The sword devours one as well as the other. David's going to see that up close and personal in his life. He's going to see that the sword devours one as well as the other. And so his mission is complete. So his mission is complete. May we remain in each other's life as first. Amen. I appreciate that. I wish I had time to run over there and see what that says. I'll do it in a little bit. Anyway, so David's, David's, David's mission is complete. He takes Bathsheba into his house after his wife, after, after the mourning period is over for his wife. Nobody knows what he's done, and he feels like he's gotten away with it. But the last line of this chapter says, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. One of the things that we have to be aware of, we don't get away with nothing. Mm-mm. God knew what you were do before you did it. God knew about the decision that you were going to make. God knows everything. It's called he's omniscient. He knows your end from your beginning. No need to cover nothing up. And I want to leave you with this word of hope tonight, and this word is this, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all Unrighteousness. That's First John one nine, and I want you to know tonight that no matter what your situation, no matter what you've done, you don't have to hide it from God. No matter what your scheme, no matter what it is that you that you that you did, God already knows it. He already knows. And next week we'll continue and we'll show you what's happening. But the thing that you need to learn tonight is that you have a choice when it comes to sin. You have a choice. Choose God. The Bible teaches us resist the devil and he'll flee from us. 
And the verse that precedes it says, Submit yourself unto God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We And resistance doesn't mean just stay there and curl up in the ball. Resistance means to actively war against. To actively war against. What does that mean, to actively war against? It means that when you are tempted, when something comes at you to try to get you to break faith and walk away from the word of God, you've got to put your weapons to work. You've got to actively war against it. How do we war against it? Number one, we confess the word of God. What do you mean we confess the word of God? We say what Jesus says about that thing. We say what God says about that thing. What do you mean say what God says about that thing? Well, if you feel like killing somebody, all you got to do is confess, thou shalt not murder. The word of the Lord says, thou shalt not murder. The word of the Lord says, thou shalt not murder. So you begin to confess what God has said. Secondly, Secondly, okay, you begin to pray and pray in the spirit of God. You go inside and you begin to say, Lord, you have said that I should not kill. And so, God, I submit myself to you, not as one who takes life, but one who is a conduit to give life. Because out of me should flow life. And so I want life. I speak life over this situation. I speak life. I'm a life giver. And thirdly, you worship God. You just begin to worship God and invite the presence of God into your atmosphere. That's how you overcome. That's how you resist. You resist with the word. You resist with prayer. You resist with worship. And the Spirit of God will come, and it will take you through whatever you're going through. David didn't do anything like that. David just yielded. And David, who had been so pleasing to God, for the first time in our study, we see that David, this man after God's own heart, has displeased God. Let's stop right there. Quick word of prayer, and then we will be done for the night. Oh, gracious God, we thank you for the time that we have spent in your word. God, we, in all of the areas that we we face, we know that there is something within us that oftentimes leads us towards sin. Our prayer tonight is that you lead us not to temptation, but that you would deliver us from evil. Father, tonight, even as we pray, we ask that you, O Master, that you, O Master, that you, O Master, would keep us mindful that we have power over sin, but that we're still in the presence of sin, and that we have to war every day, that we have to war against those things that would cause us to fall into lust, to deliver us over to sin and death. For, oh God, you've called us to life. So teach us to stay on your path. Teach us to follow your spirit. Teach us to stay in your word. Teach us to obey your commandments. Teach us to honor you with our lives. 
thank you, God, that you're making mighty warriors out of all of us and that you give us your word, and your word is truth. Your word is powerful. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. We bless you for your word tonight. We thank you and we praise you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we'll continue to ride the roller coaster next week as we move into 2 Samuel chapter 12. It's still going down. It ain't came back up yet. And I pray tonight that you were blessed by the word, that you will that that you were blessed by the word, and that you will um, continue to to study His word to show yourself approved. I'll see you next week, uh, same time. Uh, walk, and we we're closing out. Walk in God's blessings in Jesus' name. <clears throat>